0: How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. It truly is. Got a fun show, and I'm excited to share it with you, and I'm just generally in a good mood about the state of things because just came from a pretty fun Easter weekend that I shared with producer Lauren. Hey, Lauren, tell us... I, I want you to uh, hop in here real quick so you can give us the lowdown on what it is to do the Corella family Easter. Or I guess clock family Easter because it's kind of the extended family. Now it's
1: mine now. It, you
0: You really have taken it over <laughs> because but, like for most families, okay, Easter is a quiet brunch with maybe a mimosa involved here or there. You eat a little bit of pastries and that's it maybe a half dozen to a dozen people there really that's not the way our family rolls
1: i didn't (laughs) know that was the way anybody else's family rolled well well
0: because we've only known it we have only known one easter and it's our giant irish catholic insane easter stravaganza that we do every year
1: we used to take over a whole cul-de-sac i don't know if you recall this oh like, i i have memories Whole cul-de-sac
0: a, a whole cul-de-sac to cover an easter egg hunt but the, the easter egg hunt still lives on <laughs> yes because we played it when we were kids like right our, our aunts and uncles and grandparents like laid out this massive easter egg hunt for us and all of our cousins and now we're the grown ups who now have to do this for another generation of cousins and cousins once removed. And you largely spearhead a lot of this effort. And what goes into, like, laying out all these eggs? It's not just eggs with candy, right? <laughs> There's prizes and, like, little awards. It's a production.
1: So our mother made things a little excessive. Uh, she <clears throat> liked to do things to excess. And uh, she took, like, that family cul-de-sac thing, and we went from you know, receiving items to receiving numbers that got redeemed for tickets. And like we had boxes that coordinated with the numbers inside the eggs and it was all kinds of whatever. Then they decided they weren't going to hide money in eggs because if you lost the egg, what happened to the money? So you started getting like certificates for money that you could then go redeem. And, uh, as was apt to happen with our, our lives, when our mother passed away, I inherited like, you know, holiday stuff for the next 20 years. And, uh, (laughs) we're going to get all sad and hokey now, but five years ago on Easter Sunday, we did a celebration of life for our mother. And four years ago on Easter Sunday, we moved out of the family home and everybody came over, said goodbye, and we did a big epic Easter. And then, uh, And then we welcomed into my new home the following year. And then we've had a pandemic that kept us all from getting together for a couple of years. And so I brought it back this year and everybody got to come hang out with me. So I think I stuffed over a thousand eggs. Um, A thousand (laughs) eggs? And just for the record, there was still like a third of the giant like coffin size box that I didn't stuff including like eggs. You can't see my hands if you're radio listeners, but like (laughs) giant Easter eggs for toddlers. Cause there's nothing cuter than watching like a little kid carry an Easter egg. That's like half his size. They're like, this is the best toy ever. And it's just the egg. Um, and then commenter
0: writes in, this sounds epic and it is epic. And
1: Pat cat, you need to come. I know it's like a long journey for you, but you need to come out here and experience one of my Easter's. Like, we, we would love to have you in the chaos. Now, I will have to call you out on this one, Ryan, because I make a big deal about how, like, let the children hunt for eggs, because I find that adults want to play the egg hunt far more than the children want to play the egg hunt. And Ryan is one of those adults during the Easter egg hunt who is, like, standing by a pile of eggs, and he's going, hey, hey, Robert, come here, Anthony, come here, come here, Jimmy, uh, Sarah, over here. Like you're just calling anybody you can get the attention to because you found the egg for them. And I was like, don't tell anyone you found an egg. And so you go very casually. Um, i'm not saying that there's an egg here but if someone were smart and wanted to look i would be in a good place I
0: mean, oh i'm not saying where the eggs are but if i were an egg right in between this ficus plant and the fence would be a really good place for me to hide here's the thing all right in defense in humble defense of myself okay first off by the way we don't we should not give short shrift and just skip over how insane it is that you hide a quadruple digits worth of eggs on easter oh, That's for sure, too many damn eggs but nah. putting that aside in defense of myself hunting for eggs even though i'm still a grown-ass man i've literally been training for this my whole life <laughs> all right i grew up on these easter egg hunts playing it from a very small age you can't and I, i've turned myself into a finely tuned egg hunting machine You can't turn this switch off.
1: No, what you do with that switch is you come over to the dark side. You come to my side. And then because (laughs) you're an expert at finding them, you know where to hide them. Like now you take that knowledge and pass it on. The other thing I like to make the adults do is wait till the kids sit down with their basket and start opening all their eggs. And then you go out on the mission of finding the ones that they couldn't find. Because no matter how many (laughs) you think you found, there are always more eggs out there.
0: Oh, and you'll always find an egg from, like, two or three years ago that the kids never found.
1: I was laying out mulch before this party to make, you know, the yard look clean because there's a difference between having a clean yard and having a yard that's okay for children to, like, dig through bushes and crawl through things. Like, it's a whole other layer. So I'm laying down the mulch, and I found an Easter egg with candy in it. I think it had a starburst in it, like, from at least... A year ago, if not three years ago, since I haven't really had Easter egg hunts in the last couple of years. Uh, but it was insane. Now, just so that people kind of get an idea, yes, there's candy and yes, there's toys and stuff like that. But I find that you can fill a whole bunch of eggs with just tickets, like you know, those raffle tickets where it's like tear one half or whatever. Yeah. And you put the tickets in the eggs and then. They try to collect them and they can put those tickets in for raffles for items, you know, a gift card or uh, a something else. And people will go mad to find the tickets, which in theory have the least value of anything until it goes into a raffle. But it it allows me to stuff a thousand eggs without having to buy a thousand prizes.
0: Yeah. That's. uh, I I
1: just got a question, and so I'm trying to read it here. Lauren, did you include any camouflage M&M eggs? We saw those this year in the supermarket, and I still don't know why you'd want eggs that have camouflage wrapping to make them harder to find. But maybe in your intense competition, they'd fit right in. I do have camo eggs.
2: (laughs) I also have
1: blue camo eggs. I also have egg shaped like sporting goods, like there's a football egg and a basketball egg. And I'll tell you, that football egg has got to be the hardest egg to find.
0: Oh, yeah. You put that in the right patch of dirt, it's never getting found.
1: (laughs) I was going around. I was like, orange flowers get an orange egg. The yellow flowers get a yellow egg. In the vegetable garden, we're going to put green eggs. I was uh, pretty OCD about that kind of stuff. But the camo eggs are great exactly for that reason, for older ones. Now, that being said, M&M's are a terrible idea in Miami. We have eliminated all chocolate from Easter egg hunts because we've learned our lesson. Uh, M&M's may melt
0: in your mouth, but not in your hand, but they will definitely melt Melt in an Easter egg (laughs) in Miami sunshine. Yeah,
1: Yeah, sad. (laughs)
0: One of the things I noticed about myself when it has come to Easter eggs that I noticed this year as I was hunting for eggs is there's sort of like this uh, bell curve almost in the kind of prizes that you're interested in on Easter by age, right? (laughs) Because at our family Easter egg hunt, there's like candy eggs and then there's Mm -hmm. like eggs with like money in it. And when Mm -hmm. I was a little kid, like really little... All I wanted were the candy eggs. I had no taste for money. I didn't understand that money could buy things like lots of candy. It was just paper to me. So I wanted the candy. As I got a little older, you know, 12 to 14, 10, 12 in that range, obviously I'm understanding the value of a dollar. And so like, I'm almost throwing away the candy eggs and just going and trying to just collect the cash. And maybe I can walk out of Easter with like eight solid dollars. And that's a big win. Right. Yeah. And now here I am well into my thirties, very well into my thirties. And I was hunting around for the eggs. And when I found an egg with like a paper in it, I got disappointed. I just like at my age, like, you know, like I'm not, I'm not saying I'm a millionaire, but like if, 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 if something I got money, all right. So, What I really want when I open that egg is just a Twizzler. Cause you know what my house doesn't have candy because I'm not a kid anymore and I don't get to go buy candy at the grocery store. So like, it's interesting that when you get to your thirties, you want the same thing out of an Easter egg hunt that you want when you're five, which is just a little
1: piece of candy. Except I filled a lot of eggs this year with those fidget toys. And it didn't seem to matter what age you were, like people wanted these little popping things and like the rings you roll on your finger and like the things that just make awkward noises. I didn't think it would happen, but like the adults were fighting over fidget toys.
0: (laughs) So a commenter writes in, Ryan, as an adult, you can buy all the candy you want and have it in your house. No, you can't. No, I. That's what I always thought. From like when I was a young age, I was like, one day I'm gonna get old and I'm gonna buy all the candy. And here's the problem: when you buy all the candy, is you put all the candy in your house, you eat all the candy. Oh, see, like I, I and and I will eat all the candy if I get like a if I get like a, a bag of Oreos. It's not gonna make it long enough. There was a great TikTok where somebody said, "The uh, you know you you know." If you're if you're letting Oreos spoil, you're buying Oreos wrong because a pack of Oreos should never last long enough that they spoil. Same thing with candy. Like I'm I'm gonna buy candy, I'm gonna eat it right away, and I'm gonna get sick and I'm gonna get like super heavy. So like I need my candy to be in small egg-shaped containers <laughs> that I only eat that one and I don't have a whole bag of it that I bring home because I'm old and that's it's like what Easter. Happens.
1: Not Easter, Halloween. Like you want you want the sample mm. size candies where it's yeah, like fun size, not fun a whole size bar. is where
0: it's at. Cause yeah. I can't control myself. Let's talk about our guest this week. Excited <laughs> yeah. in the next segment to talk to our friend Daryl Hers. He's the director of market development in Canada for CD Baby oh. and the creator of the Indie 101 online music conference. So, in that sentence, I mentioned two things that I already like about Daryl Hers. One, conference. he works for CD Baby, uh, which is a fantastic organization. We've had lots of great CD Baby execs on this program, they always have great insight. And they are true friends of the indie artists furthermore daryl hers creator of the indie 101 online music conference really cool conference i was checking the list of conference speakers a lot of break the business guests on there a lot of fantastic speakers on there and so i'm excited to hear him talk more about that conference and what i really want to talk to him about lauren is just the rise of online conferences obviously since the pandemic we haven't been able to get together for those physical conferences as often. And I thought that as I was starting to go to more online conferences instead of going to like the ones at the big convention centers, that I it would it would just be a letdown. Oh, it's not going to be the same unless you're hobnobbing and elbow rubbing and and doing all that networking. And while I do love me a good on-site conference at a convention center you and i are we've had a lot of fun at like the nam conference we had a good time there diy musician conference things like that there's something to be said for a good online music conference in terms there's there's value to be had right obviously Mm -hmm. they're a lot cheaper you're saving on travel and you're getting a ton of great information and insight and you don't even have to change out of your pajamas to get it And more and more I found that these online conferences are getting better at the networking aspect. They're finding Mm -hmm. ways to simulate the sort of networking that we often associate with the on-site physical conferences. They're getting better at that. And so dollar for dollar really great experience that you get out of these online music conferences. And, and I find myself going to more and more each year. I, I know Lauren, you're a bit of a convention hound when it comes to either music conferences or tech conferences. What do you think about this rising phenomenon of the online conference?
1: I love conferences in general, but I'm a super social person and any excuse to get in a room with a bunch of other like-minded people I'm in, I'm in. And, um, I was afraid like you that, losing the networking aspect like where you're in a room with these people where you can stay after somebody speaks that you enjoyed listening to and if you have to wait an hour and miss another session if you wait there you can at least you know say hi trade information be able to continue follow up later and you lose that with online conferences i have found they've gotten better a lot better at creating uh spaces where people can interact so, I can hang out with other conference members and I can network. But I find that the big ticket people, the people who are listed, the artists who perform and things like that, it's almost too easy for them to click off. Mm. Like, they're like, I did my talk, peace. And you're like, <laughs> thanks. Okay. I really wanted to talk about that. And they're like, great. You can go in a room with other people who also want to talk about that, but it's not going to be the person you want to talk to. Like, yeah. and, it's it's neither here nor there. We're getting there, but I I will say I'll miss them if they go. Like it's not the same as an in-person conference, but some of them that did virtual and then said, All right, we're going back to uh to live and we're not doing virtual, I was like, Aw. Yeah. I can't I can't get there this year. And I, I kind of miss having the people. So I don't know, best of both worlds, but um I don't want to see them go, but I do kind of want to see a build into Um, Even if it's an upcharge to be able to follow up with some of the uh, the speakers and the performers and things like that, and to be able to have that kind of access, because that's one of the things that makes conferences great. You're on the same level as everybody else, like you're walking on the same floor, you're using the same bathrooms, like it's the same space. And with virtual, it's the same space, but it's not. You know, you have way too easy to segregate people, as it were.
0: Well, there's I think there's advantages and disadvantages to both forms of media. And I think you had it right, Lauren, when you said we hopefully can get to a best of both world scenario. What I'd like to see when we get, quote unquote, back to normal times again, whatever that's going to mean. New normal. But like, you know, whenever we can sort of get to a more comfortable place with the pandemic, where we really feel comfortable having these physical conferences at scale again. I hope that doesn't mean that the online conferences disappear because what I think is a good conference schedule for an indie creator to have in terms of how they want to divide up their year is going to be a combination of maybe one to two of these big kind of on-site conferences, maybe a a Nam and a DIY musician conference type thing. And you go to those and then you sprinkle within it a lot of these online conferences because then you can get like because you can do like three or four or five online conferences for the price of one on-site conference oh, yeah. and get a whole lot of great information and great networking um, for, you know, for your dollar. And then and you still get the uh, big, you still get the big onsite conference. It's tip.
1: not just the cost of the conference. It's the hotel. It's the flight. It's yeah, the meals, meals that you wind up taking people out to, and all of these other things that you don't have there. And being able to give access to people who can't get there or who want to get there anyway. I like the idea, you know, of a Nam type thing where there are speakers in the room, but you can also virtually log in and get to hear these brilliant speakers live as it were. And, uh, And have that be a ticketed thing. You know, there's a lot of people who go, well, well, we're going to record it and make it available. But why is it not $50 to get a ticket to the conference and $20 to be able to stream into the conference, like be able to have access, but not the same kind of access, you know?
0: So you could, you know, make make a conference a little bit of both, a, a kind of a mixed media hybrid type thing. I think we're going to see more, more of that. Especially since they're
1: recording anyway. Like, I don't know yeah. what conference I've been to in the last decade that didn't have a camera in the back of every speaker's room. I mean, they're getting it. <laughs>
0: <Like>. <laughs> oh my God. When you talk about conferences, Lauren, I was just about to bring up our news story, but now I have to bring this up again. I can't, whenever I think of conferences, I can't help but think about the session that I did at Nam. the session I led at Nam. On a negotiating a record agreement, I think it was. This was in 2016 or 2017.
1: 2017. I still,
0: 2017. I still remember this session to this day because Lauren, to your credit, you pulled every string in the world to get me this speaking gig at the Nam Conference. <laughs> this is a big conference, and this is 2017. This podcast was barely a fledgling. My legal career as an entertainment lawyer, to the extent that existed, was still kind of just bubbling up. The Break the Business book was out, but it wasn't really like moving around that much. But you, mover and shaker that you are, got me a speaking slot leading my own session on negotiating a recording agreement in 2017. That was the title of the conference. And you
1: nailed it for the record. Well, yeah, except... <laughs> except when you planned said speech. I won't go into that, but...
0: <laughs> well. Well, here's the thing, because like I actually had a lot of I, I, I'm proud of that speech that I gave. It was
1: so good.
0: Well, but it, the, the speech was good, but it also wasn't what the topic was supposed to be. They brought mm-hmm. me in because I was supposed to like talk about the deal points of recording, uh, of negotiating a record deal. Here are the uh, the the label options and the advance and the royalties. And rather than do what I was told, I led a ninety minute session where I just went. Don't sign record deals. Don't do it. Look at all these examples of indie creators doing awesome things on their own. Here are why record labels can ruin your life. And I I remember like there were like, you know, I could tell like there were like big wigs and suits and ties like walking out of the room as I'm giving this speech, just like yelling, don't sign record deals. I'm a lawyer. Trust me. I've seen how crappy these things can be. I also don't think it was an accident. I wasn't invited back the next year. (laughs)
1: I think that that was my fault, too. We didn't follow up. Um, I could have gotten you back in there. Give me time. Yeah, I can get they would have invited
0: back the heretic.
1: Heck yeah. You know why? Because you may have been saying it before it was a popular view, but now it's a super popular view and getting stronger. So you, in theory, opened a lot of people's minds to that at a time when they weren't necessarily. And your examples were phenomenal. And the people who did stay in that room, when they walked out of their room, made a point to come up and, and talk to me and leave messages for you and things like that. Because what you said hit them and inspired them and convinced them that they could do something and not, you know, if you don't have the normal path that everybody else does, you're not going to make it. And Nam has a lot of people creating music, creating music products, helping other artists. And it was uh, the right place, the right time. And I will not let you tell yourself that you <laughs> did it wrong or did not belong. You nailed it.
0: Well, it was, it was good fun. And I appreciate you setting that up. I, I'd love to do more of those when I'm yeah. you know a little braver about the pandemic again, or maybe I'll do some online conferences. I've done a I couple of those. Those are fun. I get to use my green screen and everything. I've gotten really good with online presentations just from like, you know, being in the pandemic and learning how to like turn my office into a home studio.
1: Oh man. When you get into the stuff that Jason, who you guys don't know yet, but Jason and I are doing the uh, online conference thing is is ridiculous on our yeah. end. If anybody needs help live streaming and live conferences, we've got a studio in Miami now that is super high end. We got you back.
0: Fabulous. So while we're on the subject of record labels, I mm-hmm. want to revisit a discussion we had a couple weeks back, Lauren, about a new bill in the California legislature called the Fair Act, which would. Give artists signed to record deals more power in being able to get out of these record deals that last too long, that are trapping artists in recording agreements and making it so they can't work with people who actually want to work with them. So uh, just to catch, catch people up on the current state of the law in California and why this law is so important, California has this general rule which says that you are not allowed to sign somebody to a personal services contract of any kind. That lasts more than seven years. It's called the de Havilland Law. And I think we can all agree that there's a good reason for to have that kind of rule for contracts. Like, we don't want people to be slaves. And frankly, if you can't get a personal services agreement done in seven years, then you dragged your feet too long and maybe you should let that person go so they can work with people who actually want to work with them. And that should doubly be the case for a lot of recording agreements. A lot of recording agreements, most recording agreements are set up in a way where it's based on a number of albums, three album deal, five album deal, seven album deal, where the label largely has control over when the artist records those albums. Generally, artists want to record records. They want to get in the studio and, and have new singles. And it's often the label that slows that process down because they think, oh, you know, the art, if we put out this record now, it may not be a hit. We don't want to spend the money on the record. So they'll keep that artist in limbo and so years can go by and the artist can't fulfill their their commitment. And so if they can't fulfill their seven albums, their five albums, because the label doesn't want them to, you end up with a situation where an artist can get stuck in a deal forever. So I know what you're thinking. Well, thank goodness for this seven year rule in California. Right. At least we can protect the California artists. Wrong, because in the 1980s. The record labels lobbied the California legislature to create an exception to the seven year rule just for record deals. That says that if an artist tries to terminate their record deal for the seven year rule, the artist has to pay damages to the label for all of the undelivered albums that haven't been delivered on the deal. By the way, the undelivered albums that the label was in full control over to get the artist to deliver they could have told that artist at any time let's go in let's record these records it was the label's call so if an artist gets to the end of seven years and has undelivered albums it's almost always the label's fault and enough legislators in california thankfully have realized this and proposed the new bill the fair act ab 2926 which among other things does the very sensible thing of saying, hey, you know this seven years rule that we have in California that applies to literally every other personal services contract, except for record deals? We wanna make it apply to record deals too. That's all it says. And it looked like things were going well. Our friend, uh, Break the Business guest Ari Hurston is actually out there in California lobbying to make this change. And you should, if you know Ari Hurston, you know that anytime he's involved with lobbying for change in California law, it's gonna get done because that guy is amazing.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. But it, but there was a little bit of a hitch. Um. They there's there's some uh the bills kind of slowing down in committee right now. They're bifurcating pieces of the bill to get uh to go up in pieces. And we're starting to see some of the label supporters make their case for why we need to keep this restriction. So in Billboard, uh, a couple weeks ago, Ev Ehrlich, a music executive wrote an article in Billboard basically talking about how the arguing that this fair act is is a giveaway to music's 1%. All it does is it allows all it's going to do is hurt new artists because labels aren't going to want to sign artists anymore. And it all it does is it just allows the big names in music a way to get out of their record deals. This doesn't help the little guy. It helps what? the big guy. That's that's the argument. And, you know, when I think about that argument, I think about the reason why I really started, you know, thinking about this case and, and, and the seven years rule and why it why 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 I kind of got into the, like the advocacy for this. It was years ago. I remember I was having lunch with a artist who was, um, you know, just somebody that a, a colleague of mine asked that I could just have lunch with like, oh, this is artist, They're in a record deal. It's a mess. It's not moving forward. Can you just talk to her? And I'm sitting at this like Italian restaurant with this artist, talented, beautiful, amazing artist. And she's just telling me how when I was in my early 20s, you know, just young ingenue, this producer finds me and says, I think you got all the talent. I'm going to make you a star. Sign this recording agreement. Five albums. Sign this. Uh, I'm going to make you a star. It's going to be great. And so, of course, the artist is like, heck yeah, this guy's a big-time producer, he's made so many artists famous, I'm absolutely going to sign on the dotted line. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, four years go by, they have recorded a grand total of zero albums. Not because the artist doesn't want to record, the artist wants to get in that studio and make some magic happen, but the producer got bored. The producer found some other young ingenue that they'd rather work with. And rather than let the artist go drop the drop the artist from the contract he's like well why am i going to do that i might change my mind later and decide i want to work with this artist again and i want to have the ability to do that and they can't record with anybody else while they're signed to my exclusive deal so i'm just going to keep them on ice and so i'm sitting in this restaurant lauren while this artist is sobbing Mm -hmm. uncontrollably in this public place you know, not caring that other people are seeing her sobbing because her life has been ruined. So what does it matter if a couple people at the table next door, like, think this is strange that this, like, it, they, they probably thought, like, who is this, like, jerk that's, like, breaking up with this beautiful artist? Like, <laughs> what, 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 are you, what are you, like, divorcing her? She's gorgeous and you look like a lawyer. Like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> um, but, and it's just, like, stories like that are the reason why I hate deals like this, because, you know, this they're happens thing. Yeah, it, it happens all too often in the music industry. It's super frustrating. And, you know, the the person who wrote this article in Billboard saying this is a giveaway to the music's one percent, you know, talks about this being an extreme law that they're trying to pass in the California legislature. This is the opposite of extreme. What we have now in the law is extreme, where just one type of contract is not subject to the general rule that every other personal service contract is subject to. The non-extreme thing would be to treat record deals like every other personal services contract in California. And as long as we're not doing that, that's the extreme thing. And so I am hopeful. I am just begging it. This is the year where the California legislature, which has often been pretty progressive when it comes to helping creators out can come to their senses and bring this bill over the finish line. But it's not going to be without some serious lobbying on the half, on the pack, on the part of the record industry, who's going to try to keep this current state of affairs in place.
1: And indie artists. I mean, if they're going to be, they've got money, they've got time, they've got power, but in theory, we've got numbers over them there in theory have to be more entertainers who aren't signed to record contracts and being muted And so if if everyone else uses their voice and contacts, you know, your representative or Ari, you know, reach out and talk to Ari and say anything I can do to help you, sir, like I'm here. Um, The more people that that come together, the more likely they are to be heard. You know, we we've got to be as loud as the um, as the record industry is. It's uh, you made the comment of divorce, like you're you're more locked into a contract with your label than any person who's been married in history like you can <laughs> oh, like
0: it make make, make no mistake it is so much easier to end a marriage <laughs> than it is to end an exclusive recording agreement there is there is no comparison in fact and I, I remember I wrote an article about this during the whole Kesha, Dr. Luke saga, where I was saying that if you're upset about what is happening to Kesha with Kesha and Dr. Luke and Kesha being stuck in this deal and you not liking that, like, yeah, be mad at, you know, Dr. Luke, if you think he is at fault. But really, who you want to be mad at is the industry that allows exclusive recording agreements to survive, because if Kesha and Dr. Luke or, you know, the artist who was crying at the table and her producer guy. You know, had any other relationship that the law acknowledges, the law has a mechanism to end that relationship. If it was an employer-employee relationship, the the uh, the employee can be fired. The employee can quit. You know, if it's a if it was a business partnership, the law has a legal mechanism to wind up and dissolve partnerships. If they were husband and wife, there is a divorce procedure. It's a painful one, but at least (laughs) it ends you know, and in California, we could have a seven year rule that says, hey, label, if you can't get your bleep together <laughs> and get this, get these albums recorded in seven years, then that's your own dang fault because you're largely in control record label and of when these albums force get done
1: people out. It doesn't say that you have to end a contract at that point. Like if the yeah. artist is happy with you and happy with where they are, they don't have to go anywhere. And uh, I know we've got to bring Daryl in, so I don't want to rant on this too long, but I do have a question for you, which is how does that work in in a place like Florida where we're a right to work state? You know, if your contract is here, can they not pull stuff like that?
0: Unfortunately, Florida doesn't have the seven year rule. Um, (laughs) You know, there's no like like California is kind of progressive about this. But obviously, since most record deals are done in California or at least involve California residents that rule is going to apply. I'd love to see this rule, at least in the recording agreement world, take place in other states as well. But California is always a leader on these
1: things. Right. And on entertainment law. But how does it work in a right to work state? Like I know in the, in the like, Uh, acting agency, like we can't have agents in Florida force us into a uh, exclusivity deal because we're in a right to work state. So I can have multiple agents representing me here. I don't know if there's something like that in the music industry, if you're signing something. I mean, I guess most of your producers aren't here anyway, but there's more and more of them. So
0: what makes it a little so where right to work comes into play, and I'm not a labor lawyer, um, (laughs) but where right to work comes into play are in employer employee relationships. Right. Mm. So when you're getting employed as an artist, you know, then like union laws and right to work can apply. In a record label agreement, the artist is not the employee of the label. It's it's a contractor relationship. And so the terms of the contract and in the case of record deals, the often predatory terms of the contract are what govern. And those same terms make it very difficult for an artist to have control over their career and uh, to allow a record deal to end with some amount of finality. And that's uh, mm-hmm. ultimately what's pretty frustrating. I feel like I'm going to get pretty hot-headed if I continue down this path. Yeah. And I want to turn to happier things, <laughs> up to and including the tremendous guest we have coming up in the next segment. So I let's, get all to take, him. <laughs> let's all take two minutes, catch okay. our breath, grab ourselves a drink of water. We're going to be right back to talk to our friend, Daryl Hers here on Break the Business. Ryan Corella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Carella, PA, Miami, Florida.
1: Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life.
0: Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host that's me on twitter at ryan kair and you can follow the show at the btv podcast be sure to subscribe to the show on twitch youtube and facebook and on all major podcast platforms and now let's get back to the show welcome back to break the business you gorgeous human beings i'm ryan Carella, and i'm thrilled to have you back here much love to our friends over at slam radio for keeping us on the air over at sirius xm we have loved being part of that community. We have loved getting to talk to brand new people that have come and discovered us through the SiriusXM platform. As producer Lauren was pointing out just now, yep, that's channel 145, where you can check us out Monday nights at 6 p.m. You can also check us out on Facebook Live, Twitter Live, Twitch, YouTube Live, all major podcast platforms, and probably like 17 other things that I've forgotten in the heat of the moment. But we'd love for you to keep interacting with us.
1: Eastern time.
0: Eastern. Oh, that's very important. I'm just know.
1: making a comment for our California listeners or our that's, Australia listeners. Like it's completely different.
0: That's a good distinction <laughs> to be made. And as we get more and more like <laughs> random international folks come out of the woodwork, that is yes. Eastern <laughs> Eastern time is uh, that 6 p.m. If, if you're uh, checking us out on Sirius XM radio, let's talk about our guest this week excited Yay! to speak with this gentleman he is the director of market development in canada for cd baby and the developer of several popular indie music conferences in may our guest will be launching the Indie 101 online music conference covering a wide range of topics for indie creators. The conference will take place from May 16th to 19th, coming right up on you. And you can find out more by visiting www.indie101.com. We are just thrilled to welcome Daryl hers on to break the business. Hello, Daryl.
2: Hello. How are you?
0: I am overjoyed to be chatting with you, sir. And... I have to say many things that I, I love about your story and what you're all about. We talked about, we you know, we love that you're doing the online music conference, uh, Indie 101. That's super cool that you work for CD Baby. That's super cool. We love the guys over there. Also, um, just being from Canada, kind <laughs> of, and, and, and that you work with Canadian music, I dig. Because look, let me tell you, all right, got a special place in my heart for Canadian pop music you need to know the amount of courage it takes to be the one bare-naked ladies fan in Miami Florida like everybody listen to like their regular American pop music like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera no hate to any of those artists by the way But something about the Gordon album, stunt album, having Stephen Page sing a little Be My Yoko Ono for you, Brian Wilson, just absolute classics that I had nobody sharing that music with. But uh, it always gave me a special place in my heart for the wonderful music that comes out of Canada. So just bless you for being part of that in any sort of way.
2: Yeah, and I I can't even tell you how many times I've heard If I Had a Million Dollars that, like, all the time that's planned so yeah you wouldn't have to eat
0: craft <laughs> dinner i mean <laughs> <laughs> and, um, i
2: do have to give a small update actually uh this is a fairly new role but uh just uh last few months it's been announced uh i'm actually with the downtown global team uh, we represent the downtown brands and cd baby is one of those so it's uh I got a pretty nice promotion at the start of the year, so I'm very lucky to
1: hear that yeah,
0: look at you moving up to the little parent company there man look look at you slumming it with the commoners over here uh <laughs> I, I how did we even get on your calendar? that must have been a must have been a mistake, but we're happy to have you here daryl um
2: so tell tell us about this new role. What are you doing with downtown Music Group? Well, it's just sort of an extension on what I was doing with c d baby uh it's just now for. All the downtown brands, uh, Fuga, AdRev, uh, DMS, CD Baby, of course, Foundy, SongTrust, basically doing the exact same kind of market development, but in Canada.
0: Congratulations. That is magnificent news. Big fan of a lot of those uh, platforms. uh, Got a lot of clients uh, who are. Big fans of SongTrust as a publishing administrator, uh, you know, really takes a lot of the headaches out of administering your publishing as an indie artist, getting that, getting the mechanicals taken care of, getting the performance royalties taken care of, getting your international performance royalties taken care of, because a lot of artists think, oh, I got ASCAP, I got BMI. I got uh what's the, what's the PRO out in Canada? So can, do I have that right? Again, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Look at me. All right. <laughs> um, but most people, know, most people don't know. That's not everything, right? If you want all those international performance royalties, you need a publishing administrator that can give you that global reach as, uh, as uh, your, your new underlings over at song trust can do for you.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. And, and if anything, I got to say, you know, like listening to some of the comments you you were talking about earlier, um, what it does is really let us empower Artists at whatever level their career is at, you know, CD baby is obviously the DIY, but then there's places to grow to as their career develops. So uh, I'm very excited to to see where this role will take me in the next few years and, and how we can help artists here in Canada. That's, oh, that's what so I'm exciting. talking about.
1: And um, I want to hear about this conference. Yes, I'm super when, excited.
0: When you're not empowering musicians in Canada, which, again, some of my favorite people in the whole wide world, Canadian musicians. So you're really doing the Lord's work here. You are are quite a setter upper of conferences. Uh, Most recently, the Indie 101 Conference, a online indie music conference that is going to be starting up next month in May. Uh, in the previous segment, Daryl, we were talking a little bit about sort of the rise of online music conferences during the pandemic and how even as the pandemic starts to subside, artists still might want to make online music conferences part of their annual schedule. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, why should artists still be attending online
2: conferences? Absolutely. And I think our story is a little bit different in that uh, if I could co- sort of step back a little bit and set it up. Uh, it's kind of like when we decided to go to online. We didn't really have an idea what we were going to do because it was pandemic. It was new. People are like, how many people are coming? Don't know. Never done it before. <laughs> what do you expect? Don't know. Didn't haven't done it before. We're just going for it. Um, but we've had such a positive, overwhelming positive response that when we ran, so the company is Indie Week. We normally have. Before COVID, we would have 240 plus bands from around the world, 24 venues, four nights, plus a conference during the day that we lost all that because of COVID. Mm -hmm. And so we we were like, literally, I don't know what to do. It took us till about July that year. And uh, we're like, I think we can do it online. Let's let's go for it. So we literally announced tickets on sale and dates. No Mm -hmm. schedule, no sponsors, no speakers, nothing. And people bought tickets right away. Wow.
0: They were that that hungry uh, for that kind of material.
2: Yeah. We were like, wow. Okay. We've got nothing up, but just the dates. So, (laughs) so we really now have to do it because people have bought tickets. Um, (laughs) So to do the marketing, we launched a weekly session. That's free. We are still doing it. It's every Tuesday. It's called Indie Weekly. We have guests come on and talk. And so, By talking about that every week, people learned about Indie Week coming online. So it gave us a marketing tool. And after Indie Week, it was so positive. People were like, wow, that was amazing. And and so I was like, I can't wait 12 months to do another one. We'll lose all momentum. So we've actually launched four online conferences every year now. And we're planning to stay that way because of the reaction we've had. And some of the pros and cons in a regular conference, uh, Lauren, I heard you talking about waiting and potentially talking to somebody, but missing the other session and stuff like that. Well, we record every session of course, but it's live on the platform for up to three months. So everybody can access the content anytime. Also all of our speakers, everybody, you can actually make a meetup on the space any time with them, even up to three months after while it's all live. Plus uh, you can have an impromptu meeting. You could do uh, emails. You could change information. So you could literally go back two and a half months later and go, I wanted to talk to that speaker. You still can't.
1: That's uh, great. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But the in-person, the whole thing was like, we'd have take over a hotel. You'd have many rooms going on, lots of different content tracks happening So what we've done is we've actually broken it up so that in the four conferences, it actually targets a certain demographic. So it's actually really high level quality for that demographic. Like screen by screen was uh, February and that's music and tech, AI, VR, blockchain, metaverse, all that, but focused on that topic. Indie 101 coming up is education. So people who are looking to get in the business or are DIY artists or new in, in the industry, it's how to do things, uh, mm-hmm. how to use artist tools on Spotify, how to do live streaming that will monetize, how to, it, Indie 101. Then Music Pro Summit is in September and that's high level industry discussions, more about strategy and you know how to do uh predictions like part one we're looking on is what does 2023 look like and and things like that um and then indie week is the hub in november we bring all that together and we really have an international focus uh so we we've partnered with many international conferences and for us we we're, we're now able to do four conferences a year in person, no way. That's so much work. Like that would, kill us. Uh-uh. That would be a nightmare. Uh, yeah, it takes exactly. you a whole
1: year to plan and then another half year to uh, rest it off afterward because it's like running yeah, a marathon. Yeah,
2: the <laughs> work is there's like thunderstorms and hurricanes and vol- <laughs> I've had volcanoes. I've had the Queen. I've had a F one race. Uh, uh, I actually did have lightning that hit our bank and meant I had no float money for. 20 bars. Uh, I had an accident where our production truck was in an accident before we got it. Like it was just so many things can happen live that we're actually like, Oh, I just have to turn on a computer and have a ring light. And (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so, so it's been very positive. And the other kind of thing is our audience has widened in the sense that we've had a lot of people say, I've always wanted to go, but I have to work. I can't afford this so there's people actually taking shots like photos while they're in a session watching our conference of two computers. They're like, I'm still at work, but I'm listening in. Um, and then the other part is people with mobility issues, uh, that couldn't actually physically be present before or tuning in. And our age range has gotten to be younger and older. We've Mm. had, that's cool. 70s saying I'm a 75 year old songwriter. I'm learning so much. And, uh, that's been great to see as well. So do you
1: find it with speakers as well. Cause I found that, you know, getting them to schedule into their, you know, their busy schedule a weekend yes. to be somewhere is different than like, I don't care if you're in a hotel in Nebraska, can you block out these couple of hours for me? And Absolutely. Uh, do you find that as well?
2: Yeah. Like, uh, last Indie week we had Marky Ramon talk, um, Indie One Hundred One coming up. We haven't announced, uh, the speaker, but, uh, uh, we've got a pretty cool uh AR rep that has signed like many major label artists talking. We wouldn't have been able to get him before. Uh, in the sorry, screen by screen music and tech, we had John V from Roblox. We wouldn't have been able to get him before. Um, yeah, it's it's just very exciting in in the level of speakers. Yeah. And the international aspect to it. They could be anywhere. And it's it's been absolutely amazing to Uh, to be able to do that because it would be tough in budget wise. I remember us planning hotels and flights. Okay. If we fly somebody from LA, can we fly somebody from Japan? And if we fly somebody from Japan and LA, can we get somebody from Australia? Eventually your budget runs out on how many people you can fly in. Yeah. Now that's not even a, not even a, and what
1: their riders require and what you have to have ready for them. And (laughs) like,
2: Oh, yeah yeah i remember i feel you <laughs> I just, I,
1: yeah.
0: oh wait 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 daryl was about to give us an amazing writer story from Ooh, do you have a good of, one like i i felt like he was about to come uh, on like you don't have to name you don't have to name the person but what was the craziest like writer demand you've had from a physical conference participant
2: well, well this one was in for a conference it was actually i arranged an artist to perform at a film festival in toronto mm-hmm. with one of our associates and literally a couple of days before the singer calls the my client who actually is paying the whole tab called him and said i'm not showing up unless there's a specific limo waiting for me at the airport when i land it's like well you've got a contract signed and everything no i'm still not showing up unless there's this limo and it has to take me directly to here and da da and, and it just turned sour so fast you know uh and he's like you know you have a contract signed yeah it doesn't matter i'm still not showing up unless this is all and then it turned into extra like each day there was a different demand that they were putting on and and i ended up we ended up just canceling them and you only
1: get away with that once then you don't get invited back like yeah
2: yeah And, and they've got a song on the radio all the time still and all this stuff but it's it's crazy you know well, but, I
0: uh, love the potential of conferences like this as an entry point to indie artists that are just getting started, right If you are beginning this journey maybe because you're younger as as Daryl noted or you're just just getting acquainted, paying over a thousand dollars to go to your first conference that that's a pretty big a uh, wall to climb for a lot of people who are just beginning this journey an online conference where you can dip your toe in the water for a much lower amount and get a lot of great education and networking and insights makes this industry a lot more accommodating and inclusive. And I love it.
1: Can it's I good. ask that? Like, what is the cost to get into your conference and what is the like deadline to sign up? Can they come right up to the day of?
2: Oh yeah. We've actually sold tickets. The new thing is sell tickets after so that they can have access to the recordings.
1: Cause they got the 30 days, right?
2: Uh, three months three
1: months still. 90 three days three months, ish. yeah yeah
2: so we have done that we've had people come to us after and say "Could we get tickets still because i want i missed it and i, I missed heard it. there was
1: a great session and now i want to hear it yeah yeah
2: uh but uh sorry i remind I, okay i got lost how on much is home. your
1: conference oh, yeah. and i guess now we know that we can sign up till the day of but uh yeah it, our producer's so giving the, you a
0: great chance to and plug what's the, event the here? break Absolutely. the business
1: discount code
0: That's what we're, that's really what we're
2: getting at. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Well, I've got a guess list, but yeah, yeah, it's, so it depends on the time of year. And so thinking forward as well for other conferences is the earlier you buy, the cheaper it is. So when we launch the ticket price, it's 20 bucks. Then it goes to 40. Then I, Mm -hmm. I believe it's 69. It goes to as the top. So we, we're very, we try to keep it as affordable for everybody. We don't want a barrier to entry. Uh, But also the other thing is we launched this year is uh, like all access passes. So people have been, we actually, it's been interesting. Uh, Most people are buying the passes as opposed to the ticket, which means they buy the pass. They get to go to all four conferences.
1: Oh, Um, that's cool.
2: Yeah. And we've got some perks coming up for them as well. Some exclusive uh, sessions that are just for the pass holders as well. Um, But yeah, it's, it's been it's just been amazing the the reaction that we've had and I wanted to sort of talk about some takeaways um, at our first Indie Weekly, a student came met with a record label in, in a, one of the B2B sessions, the one-on-one sessions and now works for that record label as a um, and That's tremendous. Then, yeah, absolutely. And then an artist in Hamilton met a company in Brazil and just launched NFTs uh, last week and it is doing work on the metaverse with this company in Brazil. And uh, there's a new artist called soft cult. Uh, they're awesome. Uh, they're actually playing in person in a festival in Bangkok in May from a meeting at Indie week in November. So the way we're trying to look at it is, is make connections online to make in-person happen. And that's, yeah. That's the key to the secret of this success, I believe.
0: Daryl Hur is making magic happen. I love it. You can find out more about the Indie 101 conference by visiting www.indie101.com. Daryl, this has been a treat. And I- I'm just really, really thankful for all the work that you do to help empower indie creators and all the cool uh, meetings and-, and networking opportunities that you've made happen. You must get a lot of satisfaction from that. Before we let you go, one last question that we love to ask all the guests that come on this program. Sure. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers
2: forward? A- absolutely. I, well, hey, I, I probably have 101 tips. Hey.
1: Uh hi You got
2: a one. <laughs> that it is. Um, so one I would say is actually have a 12 month plan in place. And I really believe a lot of artists don't do that. And they're reactionary. And when you're reactionary, you can't predict, you can't project success as much. It becomes more, oh, that is a nice accident. And oh, I wasn't sure this was gonna happen. Uh, when you actually have a 12 month plan mapped out, it allows you to say no to offers that aren't going to distract from your business because uh, so many times you're offered a show that wasn't part of your plan and you go, sure. And that could derail your momentum because you're actually helping someone else's plan. Um, Mm -hmm. And the other part is, is without the plan, often they miss out on conferences because they didn't know it was happening soon enough to make sure they had a budget to get there or Mm -hmm. budget to get a ticket. And in Canada, we've got great opportunity for funding and you have to be planned out well in advance to be able to apply to have access to that funding. So 12 months. Absolutely. That is kind of, and have a, like a release strategy, you know, eight weeks out, start marketing the release, but know what your second release is going to be and and how you can keep maximizing. Um, And an artist I used to manage, uh, he actually just opened for Dolly at South by, which was really cool to see. Um, He won't release music until he knows he he's going to have a tour because the music promotes the tour, but he's not going to, Book a tour until he knows he's going to sell out based on data. So he does a tour only if he has music. He only releases music if only he has a tour and they cross promote each other. And uh he's really successful as a DIY artist. So that I know that's a lot, but uh <laughs> that's my quick spiel. I love dig it. that a lot.
0: Very cool. Daryl, thank you so much for your time. Please don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again sometime.
2: Absolutely. We should have you as a guest on one of our sessions. Yay.
0: Let me know when and where we'll do this. Absolutely, as, as long as you don't mind the yelling. Absolutely. Let's do it. There's a lot of that, as you can see. Let's do it. Fabulous. Oh, All right. Thank Thanks you so very much, much,
1: Daryl.
2: All right. Thank you so much.
0: Man, I hope he's serious about that. Cause Heck yeah. Because I'll tell you, I get a lot of the polite, we'd love to have you on at our conference after I interview the person about their conference. And then like they go back and watch some of my old episodes and watch me like, hate <laughs> on record labels. And they're like, oh, that might upset some of our friends who have record labels. I hope he's serious though, because I love. Yeah, but doing I like Daryl,
1: so I'm gonna follow up with Daryl and be like, "Come on, you want us to play with you?" I
0: like Daryl too, man. He like uh, he 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 rubbed me the right way. Cool dude. Well,
1: I'm not going there, but I hey, will say whoa. I like what he's building here. Like that, it just seems like incredible opportunities for indie artists and just artists in general. Like the the networking ability of uh, what he's building is really cool, and making it in an accessible way is cool. Um, but he seems to have a lot of knowledge about the industry, and I'm glad he's willing to share it. Super cool.
0: Yeah, we need we need more Daryl Herses Yay! in the indie music business. The ones who are knowledgeable, who build things that help indie creators and are just trying to create fertile ground for indie creators to get together with other creators and make cool things happen. And he just, I just know he's one of those people. Not just that building that's it for himself. Yeah.
1: Right. He's not building it for himself. He's building it for his community and he sees the community as so many people. It's just, it's wonderful to see.
0: Yeah. It's uh, very, very cool. Again, you can check it out at Indie 101com I was ready to talk all about billboard magazines list of the top Uh, 200 songs of 20 years ago. Uh, I had a whole thing ready, but we're out of time, so we're going to do it next week when Elisa's our co-host. It's going to be fantastic. We'll have lots of things to yell about. Thank you, Lauren, for hanging out with us. Of course. Our thanks to Daryl Hurst for joining us as well, and our thanks to each and every one of you viewers and listeners for checking out Break the Business. We'll see you next week.